You are listening to the Point Harbor Church Podcast. Experience a place where you can grow in your faith, connect with others, and discover the story God has for your life. For more resources, visit us online at pointharbor.com. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> are the rest of you good or only one or two? Are you good? All right. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. That's page uh, 1009 in your handy-dandy uh, blue Bibles. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there is a blue Bible somewhere in a seat rack close to you, hopefully. And that is our gift to you. Take that home, put your name in it, bring it back next week. Okay? And uh, we're going to get there in a second, but I want you to have your thumb in there. Um, In the book of Acts, (coughs) excuse me, we've been in the book of Acts for um, a few weeks now. We'll be here for a while because it's such a huge, important book. And uh, in the book of Acts, there's a lot of prayer. You see a lot of prayer. There's a reason for that. Why do you think that is? You have no clue? Because there are a lot of needs. Needs. All right, I'm going to try this on the second service. Maybe they'll be more awake. (laughs) There's a lot of needs, all right? And today, in this represented, I've already talked to some of you coming in, there's a lot of needs, huge needs here too. And you go, well, John, I've got huge needs, but God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. And so today we're going to jump in your chili a little bit, some of you, and I want to help you in your prayer life because this text is all about answered huge prayers, God answering huge prayers. But maybe, maybe you're prioritizing surface needs, which are important, over core needs. Maybe your prayer life, it's all about physical needs versus spiritual needs. And so let me say something that that some of you aren't going to like. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, all right. Hit me, hit me, Lord, hit me. Here it is. When it comes to praying for our needs, most of us don't have a clue. Most of us really don't have a clue. And you're like, what do you mean, what do you mean? I'm going to drill down on that a little bit. Most of us don't have a clue as to what we really, really need. And you're like, well, I do, John. I got, you know, I need a new job. And that's a need, and it is. I need a healing. I got it, that's a need. I need a new car. Some of you young guys, I need a woman. <laughs> I'm praying about a woman, and you ought to, young guys. But, but let me ask you, let me ask you, answer this to yourself, not out loud, in your soul. How's your walk with God? Don't answer it out loud. How's your walk with God? You're like, well, what's that got to do with anything? Stick with me, stick with me. Well, how's your walk with God? I mean, really, rate it on a scale, if you can. Rate it on a scale of one to ten. Ten being man, you know. God's answering my prayers. I'm seeing, you know, things might not be perfect in my life, but man, me and me and God, we got a thing going on. There's a few of you, probably close to ten or one. You're like, well, I, I don't know, man. How's your walk with God? And most of you would say something like, "Oh, it's all right. It's okay. All right, it's okay." Here's here's what you need. All of us in here, your deepest need, your current deepest need, you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Now, I know that's a preacher thing to say, right? That's all, okay, it's all about Jesus. And it is. We looked at that, what, two weeks ago? The name of Jesus, the fame of Jesus. Be like, okay, all right, all right, all right, okay, I'll humor you, John. I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I prayed that prayer when I was a little kid. I meant it. I've been saved for years. Quit judging me, you judging judger. Hang with me, Bunky. I'm trying to help you. 
trying to help you. Let me, let me put it this way. Let's back up and go at it another way. What's your objective in life? What's your objective in life? What do you mean? What's your definition of success? Don't say it out loud. Most of you, or many of you anyway, would say, you know, nice positive stuff. Uh, uh, you know, well, I, I just want to fulfill the American dream. You know, I want to, I, uh, I want to, you know, your objective, you might, in church, you're supposed to say Jesus, but most of you, that's not true. And that's what we're talking about today. All right? Yeah, so what is your objective really in life? Uh, just be able to retire with dignity. And it's a worthy goal. I'm not saying it's not a worthy goal, but is that your main objective? A fully funded 401k, IRA, 403b. Or are my kids get in the right schools, you know, on a, on, a, on a free ride scholarship, man. That would be awesome. And it would. But if you said any of those things or, or something else, let me say to you something deeply theological. Boo. <laughs> Wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. You don't know Jesus very well. If that is your objective in life, if those are the top, I'm not saying that shouldn't be a goal, but those, that can't be your objective. You know, well, you're like, what do you mean? Listen to me. You may know, you know, I know God, I know him. You can't say I don't know him. Okay, fine. <laughs> you may know him enough to get into his heaven, but many of us here don't know him enough to live his life on earth. We don't. Well, what would you say, John, since you get all the answers? <laughs> what is my goal as John Houston? What's my objective in life? It's changed. It's changed. Here's a scripture I've been, I've been wrestling with for a while. I'm memorizing it. It, it. What should be the goal? What should be the goal of John Allen Houston? And it comes from Philippians 3, 10 through 14. And I've been memorizing it. It's in my favorite version, the J-A-H version. You're like, what is that? That's the John Allen Houston version. I took, I, I can do a little Greek and all, and I, I took, you know, I, I made it so, I took from, you know, several versions, I put them together. Can you do that? Sure, you can do that, you know? Uh, <laughs> and and be, to make it easier for me to, um, to uh, memorize. And also to, I think, be clear, you know, really be clear here. And so if you came to me and said, what, what are you about? What, what, what is life all about to you? What's your objective? One objective in life. What's your goal? And that is that I may know him. It didn't used to be, but it is now. I'm not perfect in this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And this is the part I'm wrestling with, the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable to his death that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already arrived or have reached perfection, but I press on that I may take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And Paul continues, brothers and sisters, I do not count myself, he says it again, to have taken hold of it yet, but this, here it is, this one thing I do, this one thing and most people think it's this and this but it's not he says while I'm pressing forward here's what I'm doing forgetting what lies behind some of you the reason your life sucks is because you are all about what you used to be good or bad happy or sad it's limiting you well I did this I did that well we have a God who forgives sin and forgets sin amen, amen? amen. so some of you don't Paul said I forget Paul used to be a murderer he used to persecute the church but he says, hey, <laughs> all that stuff. He says, I count all of that. Good, bad, ugly is done. Crap. It says in the Bible. Can you say crap? Paul does. 
Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. All right, Lord, I've got one objective. I've got one objective. This one thing I do, what is that? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever your will is for me, that's what I want. Forgetting what I used to be and pressing forward to what you call me to be, that is my objective. And so that's what I've been, I've been memorizing it, I've been, I've been every day, I, I, I go over it, it's, it's, it's for some reason kind of tough for me to get, I get all of them, but it, and I always get stuck on a couple parts. But that's, so I have it on a three by five card, I have it on my iPad, I have it uh, in my office, and because I want that to really be my objective, I want God's objective to be my objective, I don't want to live my life stupid. Like some of you are, I love you. I love you. My mother-in-law used to say when she did something, you know, that she did something, she goes, stupid, 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 about herself. <laughs> That's probably not good to do, but some of us are living stupid. Oh, you think you're so spiritual. No. I hope to God I am. And by the way, since I'm your pastor, you should hope I am. Amen. Right? <laughs> Otherwise, y'all in trouble. <laughs> But, but I've never said that. I've never used those words. As for, to, to memory, memory serves, I've never said, boy, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. I hope I am, but I've, you know, I, 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 God's had a lot of work to do on this old boy. And there's more coming. When I was a kid, talk about success. Success was being a big time. My dad was a farmer. I wanted to be a big time farmer with over a thousand acres. That was big time farmer. Now that's a small farm. Then when I was a rebellious teen, success equaled popularity and partying. And then when I was a young sailor, success equaled another stripe. That was success. More stripes you got. When I was a young pastor, success equals more people. Pastoring the biggest, fastest growing church in the area. That was success. And now not all of those are necessarily bad, but all of those are wrong. Whatever you are thinking, for the most part, unless you're thinking what we're looking at next. What is my success? My success equals, it boils down to my sanctification. That's what it is. My success, me being successful, equals me being sanctified. It has nothing to do with my bank account. Those are, those are side issues. Those are superfluous. Those may come with it. They might not come with it. It has nothing to do with my relationships. <clears throat> you can have successful relationships. You can have screwed up relationships. Paul had some screwed up relationships and God used him greatly because, because God sancti was sanctifying Paul. We're going to look at what that means. But my success equals, my success proportion equals my sanctification proportion. There are some of you here that we would call successful. I mean, you got it going on. You, you drive in, I'm not pointing at anybody. I mean, you can have a great car and, and a wonderful house and be being sanctified. You can be living on the poor side of town and have nothing. You ain't God's favorite because you're poor. All right? That's not how God works. You could be the big, biggest prideful person in the world, the poorest person in the world. So my success equals my sanctification. What does that even mean? Romans 8, 29. Most of us know Romans 8, 28. You know, although all, God causes all things to work together for good, but Romans 8, 9, that should be a two. Sorry. <laughs> if we fix that for next. For those he foreknew, he being who? God. He also, ooh, scary word, 
Predestined to be what? Then my, well, you would think, okay, predestined, uh, those, those, he's talking about believers, he foreknew them in eternity past, he, he, he placed his love on them, he selected them, he elected them, all of those things, those scary things to some of you, and so all of those we would think, he predestined, what is predestination? Simple, it's a predestination. It's God says, you're going to be here. Amen. You're going to be here. All right, someday you're going to be here. And most of us say, well, I'm predestined for heaven. Wrong. Now you are, but this is not saying that. My predestination arrival point is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what God has for me. He has predestined me to be like Christ. Your deepest current need, you need to know Jesus, which will result in you being conformed to the image of Christ, to the pattern of Jesus. When people look at you, they will see a representation, not of you, not of Satan, but of Jesus. God's goal, God's purpose, God's definition of success, God's predetermined destination for me in this life and the next is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness, say it back to me, Christ-likeness. All right, now if I'm really his, He'll do whatever it takes to get me there, if I'm really his. Somebody says, well, John, I, you know, I'm not all about that. You know, I'm, I come here on Sundays, that's okay, that's cool, but I'm not about being like Jesus. Well, then, you're going to hell. You're probably going to hell. Or else you're just such a backslidden Christian that, phew. But, but I'll show you why in a little bit, now that I've offended you. Acts 4 and verse 1 all right, now, now take your Bible. Now we're going to go to the Bibles. So we're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to jump to the end here. Because we've already been here, but I want to set the context. So this is Peter and John. You remember they were going to the temple to pray. And as they're going to the temple to pray, they see this lame man. He's been lame from birth. Over 40 years he's been lame, never walked a day in his life, little shriveled up legs. And he wanted some money, and then they said, hey, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have we'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the dude did. He leaped up, woo! And there's a big healing, big crowd. Everybody recognized this dude. Wow, this is real. This isn't that fake TV healer stuff. This is the real thing. And so they all come running. So Peter being Peter, he says, hey, there's a crowd. Let's preach. And so he starts preaching. Then they get arrested. All right, and they get arrested because the Pharisees, Sadducees, and all those people are very ticked off. They thought they killed this thing when they killed Jesus. In verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But... <laughs> Many of those who had heard the word did what? Believed in the number of men. Men was 5,000, so probably around 20,000 when you include wives and kids. Now skip down to verse 18. All right, because we've looked at this over the last few weeks. So they called them, these, these muckety bucks. They sent them out the next day. They call them back, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, <laughs> I love this guy, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We can't help it, dudes. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than how many years old? Forty. So when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. We looked at this last week, talking about reporting back to the church. They came back, but the report was a bad report. Hey, uh, yeah, we're going to be persecuted. Yeah, they ain't having it. And so what they do? Oh, no, no. And when they further threatened them, let me see, I jumped ahead. What a man. Verse 24, thank you. And when the church heard it, they lifted their voices together. <laughs> no, they said to God and said, I love this. I love this. You need to get this. When you're going through something, and many of you are, all right, you, you've got to get this. Priority praying. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea, everything in them, and they're praising him for his sovereignty, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, then they start talking about the promises of God, some which are not fun. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot uh, in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, that Greek word is Christ. In other words, talk about Jesus. For truly in this city, there are gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Bam, I love that. Underline that verse. To do, they were gathered together to do evil, and you're going to use it. And look, Lord, now, Lord, and now, Lord, look. And I highlighted look in orange. I'll show you why in a little bit. Upon their threats and grant, highlighted grant in orange because it's an amazing word there. To, to your servants, here's, here's our prayer request, God, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I've circled all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the... Holy Spirit, and, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. I circle boldness, both places, put a line in between them. This is huge. This is huge. Today I'm preaching on how God meets my deepest needs. How God meets my deepest needs. So, okay, John, how does he? This text in Acts 4 shows us how. Something many of you, many of you have read this, you know, over and over again, but you've never really, really seen what God has got it in there for for you to fix maybe your prayer life. So God meets my deepest needs first, if you're taking notes. Number one, you got three big points. Through his revealed word. God meets my deepest needs through his revealed word. God wants to meet my deepest needs. He does. And he wants also, also, he wants to meet my surface needs. My physical needs too, all right? He wants to meet all of my needs. But those deepest needs, those he will meet if, and I'll get them met, if, 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 I know what they are. I know what that song said, come hell or high water. I know who you are. Some of you don't. You don't even know who you are. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. Where are you going, John? Here's where I'm going. If I don't really know what I really need, how can I really pray? If I don't know what I really need, how can I really pray? How can I? 
That's what many of you, your prayer life stink because you don't really know what you need priority-wise. So you're praying, you might be praying, you're praying for, you know, stuff that God says, come on, come on now. We can do better than that. I used to uh, be able to work, my first car was a 1964 Chevy Biscayne, three on the column, little six-banger. Big old grandpa car. I actually got it from my grandpa, 100 bucks. He started losing his eyesight. And then when I turned 16, he sold it to me for 100 bucks. And I was so proud of that. Half the time when we get stuck in the, in the middle of ying at, at the stop sign, it always did. And I had to jump out. It's really bummer when you get a girl in the car. Wait a second. Lift that big hood. Got a screwdriver. Stick it in the linkage. And then you can go back to ying and... But I could work on that thing, you know? I could work on that thing. You could crawl into that engine compartment there and sit there and work on that thing. No more. No more, man. Now, you got a problem? Now I can, you know, on my truck. And my truck's not new. It's 2002. F-150. Still, I can't do squat on it. I could change the oil. I could, you know, change the filters. And I could change the alternator. And that's about it. Change a light. Change a bulb. I was driving here uh, after church some years ago, and we were coming out on Portson Boulevard, and we come out to, uh, to driver by driver, and right before driver, all of a sudden, boom! I mean, it sounded like somebody tossed a grenade, you know, in my engine compartment. Boom! And all of a sudden, the truck, and Robin's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so we coast up to that church in driver, whatever that is. And I'm sitting there, it's dark out. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it. I got, you know, my tactical light. I'm looking at it, it's just louder and mess. Preacher, I saw him. Looked out of his little house. Didn't come out to help me. Skellywag. So I got on the cell phone, I called my son. He comes out there, and we get a tow truck and all that stuff. And, and I called my brother-in-law. He's a, he's a mechanic in Illinois. I'm like, did this? He goes, yeah, I think you blew a, uh, a spark plug out. I'm like, blew? Well, who does that? He goes, Ford's. <laughs> said it was. He said, what you need? I said, what is it fixable? You know, because then they started telling me you need a new block. You need a new half block. How much is that? Only $4,000. He goes, nah, nah, you can fix it several hundred. Just put a Healy coil in there. I'm a Healy coil, what's that? He said, find somebody who knows what they're doing. And, and so I took it down to Salus and they did it for 300 bucks. Like, hallelujah. I had no clue. No stinking clue. What in the world? That's the same with most of us in our lives. We got a problem. We don't know what we need in the problem. So, all right, how do I go out, you know, about figuring my deepest needs then, John? Okay. First, through his revealed word. In his word, I'm convinced of his preeminence. We see it here in the text. I need to understand that he's large and in charge. Some of you don't get that. I mean, he's really in charge of your life. He designed me. He chose me. He purchased me. He has a purpose and plan for me. I am his. And until I get that, the, the fact that I am not a free agent, that I, I'm not just living for my wants, my will, I won't know how to pray. That's why many of you, I don't pray much because God doesn't hear me. Why? Because you think you're in charge. You think your will is preeminent. You're trying to get God to force God to do your will. And God goes, that ain't how it works. That ain't how it works. 
Because the Bible says, if you're a believer, now some of you aren't believers, you think you are, but you aren't. I love you and you need to wake up. The Bible says we're supposed to test, you need to check ourselves out, make sure that we are, you know, uh, we are really part of the elect. And there are some things, I don't have time to go into it, there are some proofs that you are a believer. Read the book of 1 John, it's got a bunch of them. But we, you know, think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, God says, I bought you. My son's blood paid for you. You're mine. You're not yours anymore. It's not your will. That's why the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your... And many of you pray that, but you don't mean it. Well, God, I, you know, I really want you to rubber stamp my will. Patook. My dream sheet. I, I won't know if, if I think I'm just, I'm in charge. I won't know how to pray. I'll pray for the wrong things the wrong way like many of us are doing. That's a problem with some of us. We, you don't get that God is sovereign. He's preeminent. He's not over the, not just over the universe, but over you. And until you get that, you just waddle around in the preschool of prayer, messing your diapers. That's what some of you are doing. And these believers, man, they finally got it. But they didn't know. They, they told Jesus, you know, earlier on, Lord, teach us to pray because we ain't got a clue. We were brought up in, you know, under the rabbis and all. We were taught. We had to memorize huge portions of the Torah. But Wow. We've never seen prayer like that, answered prayer like that. Lord, teach us how to get in on some of that. And Jesus taught them. These, these folks finally understand. And in verse number 24, <coughs> it says here, when they lifted up, they, when they heard it, they lifted up their voice. So they heard the bad report. They heard, oh man, they're coming after us. They heard, they told us to never preach Jesus again or we're going to suffer basically the same fate that Jesus suffered. They, they lifted up their voices and they said, Sovereign Lord. Pray, part of praying in Jesus' name is just admitting who he is. You are sovereign over everything and over me. You're sovereign. And then they said in verse 27, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, people of Israel, all of them against you, to do, look at this, look at this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What was that? The cross of Christ. They did it. God predetermined it. God does not sin. He does not tempt anybody to sin, yet he uses the evil people for his purposes. God, this death of our Savior Jesus, man, it wasn't an epic failure like we first thought. It was eternally planned. Wow, we get it now. Mind blown. Application. God sovereignly uses bad people and bad situations to make me more like Jesus. He, he sovereignly uses. Some of you are like, why could God allow this? He's, he's sanctifying you. He's making you more like Jesus. It hurts. Yeah, no kidding. The cross wasn't, you know, a field trip. So through his revealed word, I'm convinced of his preeminence. And, and, and through his revealed word, secondly, I'm, I comprehend his promises. I comprehend his promises. And, and we, we, some of you got these little promise books, and that's cool, you know. 365 promises from the Bible every day, and they're all positive. Oh, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it's lo I love that, right? Great promise. You know, oh, I'll be with you. Oh, and... We never have negative promises in there. I've never seen a little Bible promise book that has a negative promise. Here's a negative promise. There's some promises, prophecies, negative, scary. 
In Acts 4 and verse 24 again, they lifted up their voice, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David made a promise this Holy Spirit inspired, inspiring David. And, and, and David said, why do the Gentiles rage? It's a promise and a prophecy. And, and the people's plot. There are going to be some folks plotting. Who are they plotting against their David? The kings of the earth uh, themselves. The rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's who they're coming after. That's a promise. In other words, hear me now. Some of you be like, man, John, why is everything going to hell? Why are they politicians? Why? Because the pagans of this world, this world's politicians for the most part, and no matter which party, let me tell you, and culture, this world's culture are set in battle array against us. They are. That is the promise and prophecy of God. I don't like that. <laughs> I know, but at least you know what's going on. Shouldn't surprise you. All this stuff that America's going through shouldn't surprise you. Oh, no, God's good. God, where are you at? I promised it. <laughs> Wake up, clueless Christian. For truly, then they say, okay, that was a promise from David a thousand years ago, but bow, woo, in this city. They, they were, they were, we saw it happen against your holy servant Jesus. You know, that whole cross thing, who you anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, man, we got the names, we got the receipts, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They're like, dudes, there it is. God promised that he was going to use bad people and bad situations to fulfill his plan, and bam, there it is, unfolding right before our eyes. Scared the mess out of us. Look at me, look at me. Are you a self-identifying, don't, don't answer out loud, self-identifying follower of Jesus, are you? Most of you would say yes. Few of you would say no, and that's cool. You know, and I'm glad you're here checking out Jesus. But if you are, here's Jesus' promise to you. The world is going to hate you. The world, talk about a promise. You won't see this in little promise books either. <laughs> this is Jesus. I've given them your word talking to God. This is the high priestly prayer of Christ. So he's praying for his disciples and, and them as the disciples. I've given them your word. He's talking to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I don't ask that you should take them out of this world, but that you, you should keep them from the evil one. We're in a spiritual war against the forces of Satan. We have been saved and called into the mighty army of God. But some of us were like, okay, if I gotta serve God, I wanna be in the secret service. <laughs> That's some of you. In the secret service of Jesus. There is no secret service in the kingdom of God. Because guess what? My king doesn't need any protection. My king does it. He's the protector of me. Hallelujah. Some of you, you don't do squat and you don't, nobody knows you're a Christian. Which, 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 let me tell you honestly, one of the proofs of a Christian is that they are known by their love of other believers. Another proof of a Christian is they have some holy boldness. If nobody in your workplace knows you're a Christian, then maybe you're not. Amen. Maybe you're not. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to help you. Because some of you are going to end up in a fiery hell going, what in the world happened? It's because you had a religion and you didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Me for 19 years. 
Application. If I'm popular with Satan's kids, I'm not identifying as God's kid. If I'm popular with Satan's kids, you got to be careful. I'm going to talk about be mean, be nasty, be stupid. You know, there are a lot of Christians like that. We don't need any more. The irritating ones who are just trying to make waves. I'm talking about be, be godly, be kind, be considerate. But if I'm popular with Satan's kids, I'm not identifying as one of God's, as, as God's kid. So, through his revealed word, I'm convinced of his preeminence. And then I, I comprehend his promises, even the, <laughs> and especially the scary ones. And then through his revealed word, I clarify his priorities. I clarify his priorities. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3, I love this. This is, oh, John, I want to do the will of God. Okay, this is the will of God, your sanctification. There are just a few places, a handful of places in the New Testament that it says this is the will of God. That would be an amazing study for some of you because those are the things that God says, that's my will, that's my will, that's my will. Some of this other superfluous stuff, don't worry about. That's my will. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. Your sanctification. And as we said at the start, God's priority in your life is your sanctification. What's that big word even mean, John? Sanctification. It's a big word. I know it's a theological word. People used to know what it meant, but people nowadays, for the most part, don't. Sanctification is the act of making or declaring something holy, something set apart to God. It's the act of God sanctifies us. He says, he sanctifies us positionally. He says, I see that when you trust Christ as your Savior, I see you seated in the heavenlies. I see you as there already because God does not live in time. He lives in eternity. So he sees you as already there. Those of you that think you can lose your salvation, then God's really got a, a lot of answering to do. But he doesn't. He sanctifies us positionally. He declares us righteous. But also, it's, it's the making of something holy. Holy just means set apart. I have something holy here. This is very holy to me. And I'm using that. I'm not using that term glibly. This is set apart for John Allen Houston. It has J-A-H on each end here. What is it? It is my carving set. Ooh, say ooh. He didn't say ooh enough. Ooh, ah. Yes. This is not Miss Robbins. She's not supposed to touch this. This is mine, seriously. I got me a carving board in here. I got some big knives, some small knives. I got a sharpener. And I keep this out with my pit barrel, my smoker. Because I'm the meat maker in the family. It's my ministry. And so I have my special tools. These are sanctified to me. John Carlton doesn't get to use it. Robinette, I, I take care of it. I clean them. I sharpen them. I, you know, restore them. I use them. It is sanct. That's what sanctification means. That's what being holy is. It's being set apart. Before you were out here in the world, just, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And God says, let me have you. And then God cleans you up and he says, mine. You are Mine. You ain't the world's and you ain't the devil's and you ain't your own. (laughs) You're mine. And so I'm going to use you for my glory. That's what sanctification or being holy is all about. It's not a big, you know, some of you are misunderstanding, you're scared of it. In 1 Thessalonians, he said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you how much? Oh, say it louder. 
completely. Whoa, what does that mean? May, may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He, 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 will show, I can't do it, John. No kidding, monkey. He does it. I just cooperate with what he's doing in the sanctification process. God's priority in your life is your sanctification, not your happiness necessarily, not your healing necessarily. Therefore, he'll answer every prayer you pray in this department, in the sanctification department. Lord, make me more like Jesus. He'll answer that prayer. No ifs, ands, or buts. He'll work in your life on that. He'll move mountains in that. Some of you got addictions that you do think are conquerable. God says, you are mine. You are mine. I'm, I'll fix you. You just come to me and, and, and come to me and be willing to do what I tell you to do. And I will, because I want to clean you up and I want to use you. Not just clean you up, but use you. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, John, I've been praying about my marriage. My spouse is driving me insane. Insane. Why won't God answer my prayers and fix my horrible spouse? <laughs> Maybe because he's using the problems and the sins and the selfishness, by the way, you got some too, of your marriage to fix you first, to sanctify you. Marriage is one of God's huge ultimate sanctification tools. It is. <laughs> you young folks, I love you. You think, bye, if I all my am all ever. Some of you guys. <laughs> Man, if I just got a woman, all my problems would be solved. Everything else would be minor. Let me show you a word from the Lord. If you marry, you've not sinned. <laughs> Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Other versions have many problems. And I would spare you that. <laughs> Why? If I just marry the right one? Whoever said that is a prophet. There is no perfect woman. Yeah. Amen, guys? Are you brave enough to say amen? Yeah. And there is especially no perfect guy, ladies. Yeah. They're not. Why? Because we're all sinners. And we come into a marriage, two sinners getting together, and then they get together, and they have a whole bunch of other little sinners. <laughs> now you got a whole house full of sinners. And by the way, all the relatives are sinners. <laughs> Woo! And, and when you... <laughs> Dudes, when you marry her, you marry her mama. <laughs> you ain't going to get away from that. <laughs> and God says, all right, now you're married. You liking it? Oh, Lord, I didn't think it would be like this. I had times. I had times. Robert's not here, so I can say this. I had <clears throat> times when I was on my knees, on my knees, as a young sailor, praying and going, God, what in the world have I done? Who is this woman? Because, I, I don't know if you know, I, I, I kind of like to get my way, and I'm, I'm hard-headed. Well, guess what? So is she. Oh, first two years were full of passionate love and a lot of hell. 
And it took us. God is still sanctifying us. We now have a better marriage than we had in what we married. Uh, going on, what is the, the 24? Uh, 44 years. We're going on 44 years in two, two months. 44 stinking years. Yeah. And God has used that woman to sanctify me and used me to sanctify her and used our kids to sanctify us. Because kids are crazy too, amen? You're like, oh, I'm going to have these little cherubs. It's going to be wonderful. I'm not going to raise them like my sister. She's raising a bunch of hellions. I'm going to raise some wonderful, beautiful, homeschooled, Christian, Jesus-loving, Chick-fil-A-eating children. <laughs> and then they get old enough to toddle around. And you realize they're the spawn of Satan. <laughs> what, what are those kids for? Partly to sanctify you. To make you more like Jesus. More than God wants you to be happy, God wants you holy. Because when I'm holy, I know what real joy is. And joy blows happiness out of the water. Because happiness comes from the word happen or happenstance. It depends on circumstances. But you can have joy no matter what's blowing up in your life, amen? All right, we got to hurry. Goodness sakes. How God meets my deepest needs. First through his revealed word. Then number two, through connecting with my brothers and sisters. Through connecting, this, 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 this is what some of you are so missing. You, you got needs, you got huge needs, needs that you might not even realize, but you feel in your soul and your spirit, and you just want them, get them provided your way. You just give them to me, God. Come on, whatever my needs are, do it my way. And God says, no, 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 no. Here's how I'm doing it. Here's how I'm rolling. My purpose, my priority for you, your biggest need is to become Christ-like, sanctified, and I'm doing it, working in your life my way. Don't need no permission from you. I've been sanctified. You've been sanctified by my blood. You've been sanctified by my spirit. You're being sanctified through my word. And also you are sanctified in my church. In my church. Say it to me. In my church. In my church. What does that mean, John? Sanctified in the church. Christ loved the church. Some of you are just kind of fond of the church. But Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Why are we so much, so, so prioritizing the preaching of the word of God around here? It's because that is how we get sanctified. Amen. That is Jesus' program, that he might sanctify. He wants a church that's being separated more and more to him, more and more clean for him. First Corinthians 1 and verse 2. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, those, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. What's this word? Say it louder. Together. Called to be saints together. Some of you don't get that. Oh, here's why. Here's why. They, uh, all through the book of Acts, that word together. When they heard it, this, this passage that we are looking at, they, they lifted up their voices, say it. Together, together. Acts 1.14, at the start of Acts, all of these in one accord, that means what? Together. We're devoting themselves to prayer. So they prayed together. They got together in emergencies together. Acts 2, day by day, attending the temple together. That's fellowship or worship service and breaking bread in their homes. That's small groups. Say it together. The first church got it. 
They're doing it together. And then they're going to send out missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord together, that Greek word means, to choose men and send them to you. They were doing it all together. Those early brothers and sisters were connected. How could they stand for Christ? How could they stand in the midst of persecution? Because they started to understand some things. We need to be together. We need to be together. But we are the iPhone generation. And that's one reason why I'm not saying I'll never have one. I've had one before and I, I hate them. I also hate my flip phone because it's a pain in the butt. You text me and I'm going, oh, God. ABC. So if I don't answer you, I'm sorry. It's a pain in the butt. But I also hate, hate, hate. I know I'm alienating my, you know, some of you, I love my iPhone. That's your problem probably. Many of you want to admit it, but you're addicted. You're addicted. Uh, you can't let that thing go. If you go somewhere where you don't have service, you're just like, oh, man, I need a sat phone. Oh, going through withdrawals. We have family get together. I look at my kids. God bless them. I love them. And they're all, eh. like, come on. Disconnected. This is a disconnected generation. Well, we're connected, you know, online. Oh, shut up. <laughs> That's not real. It's not real. Some of you parents need to take the reins, start the leadership in your home, and do something about that. I'm not saying throwing them away. I'm just saying hide them for a week and see what happens. <laughs> well, John, we got to know where they are. All right, well, get a pager. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be popular at school. When we were growing up, this is one of those old man things, we never had cell phones, pagers, or anything. Our parents said, see you at sunset. Don't be late. <laughs> that was free. As we see through the, as we go through the book of Acts, these connections got them through very hard times. And I've said it before, if you're not really connected here, you're not, if you aren't really connected here, you won't grow as you should. I promise you. You won't have your needs met because nobody will know who you are. You're going through your own personal hell and nobody's you know, connected to you. I've seen it happen. You, you, you won't find and fulfill your purpose. I guarantee you that. You won't get your prayers answered like you could. Why? Because you're not doing it God's way. Well, what should I do, John? What should I do? Here's what you should do. All right? Trust Jesus as your Savior if you haven't. Connect to him first. Then get baptized if you haven't been. That's the connection you know, to the church. That's the official connection, initiation right. They understood in the New Testament, we don't. Some of you have been Christian for 25 years and you've never been baptized. Shame on you. Well, John, if I do it now, everybody will know. Yeah, they'll know. And the other people will go, man, you know, old Harry got baptized after, so I'm going to get baptized too. You, you'll be leading some folks instead of hiding. Then officially become a member. Double dog dare you. This is, this is all through the word of God. He's talking about members, all the different parts of the body. And he called them members. Some of you come here and you're like, yeah, I like this church you're serving here. You're not a member. Why not? Why? Well, I don't believe in church membership. You believe in joining everything else. You got to join the library. So you put the library higher than they do Jesus' church. Some of you, some of you, I love you. I just, oh, you just need to, well, what's so important about being a member? It shows your commitment. 
we're going to do something, you know, and hey, I need some folks to rally around. I look in, I have them look in the thing and say, are they a member? Because I feel a little hesitant, that, you know, approaching some of you that are just attending. And you're like, oh, this is my church, but I might go down here, I might go down there. Cool to have you, but you, you know, you're not really committed. Some of you need to step up. What do I do? Good, jump on that thing in front of you, that, uh, what is it called? QR code? All right, that little, on your magic box. <laughs> Oh, now you like iPhones. Oh, shut up. <laughs> and uh, say, hey, I, wanna, I need to be baptized if that's you, or I need to join if that's you. Double Dog Dairy, we got it coming up in a few weeks, all right? Both of them. And then find your ministry team. There's a way to do that on that QR code. Go for it. Make God happy and Satan angry, okay? Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Do it God's way. Application. I'm going to connect here at Point Harbor. I'm going to connect. Finally, we got to hurry because somebody set the clock ahead. <laughs> Number three, God meets my deepest needs through praying specifically in his name. Now, but, but honestly, some of, a lot of you are confused about, you know, praying in Jesus' name. Folks say, you know, they just tag it on. It's, it's not a magic formula, folks. If, if what you ask for in prayer is not to God's glory and according to his will, saying it in Jesus' name at the end is meaningless, and further, I will posit, it's on the edge of taking his name in vain. Taking his name in vain is not as much blankety blank Jesus Christ as it is, hey, in Jesus' name, something that's totally not your will that I just prayed, that I added some little magic incantation on hoping it would impress the Father. It doesn't. Praying in Jesus' name first is acknowledging that my access to the Father comes only through the Son. It comes with his authority. It's asking the Father to act on behalf of the Son for me, because I'm coming in the name of Jesus, his son, by the authority of his son, Jesus, by the will of his son, Jesus, for the glory of his son, Jesus. Praying in God's will is powerful and promise-filled. And man, these disciples, they got it in, in Acts 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. They got together. They reported everything. Oh, man, here's what they're doing. They lifted up their voices. They started praying. And this is fervent prayer in the Greek word. And when they had prayed, that's they prayed. The place which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their specific prayer. Bam! Like that. So what, pray tell, did these persecuted believers pray for? I know how most of us would pray. If we were in this situation, God, these dudes are coming after us. The same ones that killed your son, Jesus. How can we survive this, God? They got the political power. They got the cancel culture. They got their own communication networks. God, give us safety. Give us new leaders. May my godly candidate win in the next election, God. Lord, if not, kill them all. Lord, take me in the rapture. That's how we pray. Not how they prayed. They didn't ask for any of those things, at least not here. I like how Swindoll says that their personal safety took second place to the fulfillment of his plan. They said, as it were, while you're getting the job done, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing. This is cool. They prayed for boldness to do his will, to speak his word. What was his will, John? What was his will? The book of Acts is all about this. The foundational passage we looked at the first Sunday and we keep coming back to because Jesus is talking. He gives the great commission. You will receive what? 
power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, your, your power is the Holy Spirit's power. And then when you get that power, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power to be my witnesses. All of these places, that is what God is all about. That is his will. That's the primary thing. What, what, what is it? It's, it's keeping people out of hell. That is what it is. Keeping my family out of hell. Keeping my kids out of hell. Keeping my golf buddy out of hell. Keeping my BFF out of hell. Getting the soul-saving, life-changing gospel to as many folks as possible, even if my life, when I do it, is not perfect. Even if my finances are crap, even if my body is dysfunctional, even if my marriage is on the rocks, pray for those things. Yes, I'm not saying don't pray for them. I'm not saying don't pray for them. But I'm saying to pray for the, those all pale in comparison to an eternity spent in hell. They pale. Those disciples finally get it. And they also know their commission. And they also know their weaknesses, so they pray. Not, it's amazing. They don't pray for deliverance. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for security. They pray for boldness to do more, <laughs> to get in more trouble. I love Acts 429, a little Greek techie stuff for you. This is their prayer, and it's huge. And now, Lord, and then this word look is in the Greek imperative. What is an imperative? What is an imperative? Huh? It's a command. <laughs> and grant, it's in the imperative. Now, I'm not telling you to pray and command God, but I'm telling you, these folks are praying boldly. They're, they're, they're saying, Lord, look, pay attention, God. Pay attention. Look here. Look upon their threats, Lord, their threats. And grant, what does that mean? Do it now. Do it now, Lord. Need it now, not tomorrow. Lord, they're coming after us. I think I can hear them at the doors. Need you to look, pay attention to this, and I need you to do it now. Grant your service, servants to continue to speak. You, Lord, we want to continue. We're not even praying for safety, God. We're just praying that when they do come, or when that opportunity arises, you give us boldness. Give us boldness. And when you boldly pray on Jesus' authority in his will, boom, he'll answer. He'll answer. What does that mean in my prayer life? Listen to me, listen to this. Praying not as much. Lord, give little Jimmy an A in his test. I'm not saying don't pray that. I'm not saying, but, but more pray. Lord, give little Jimmy a heart for you. Not as much, Lord, get little Cindy on the cheerleading squad. As Lord, keep little Cindy out of the back seat of some idiot guy's vehicle. Give her a heart for purity. Help her honor you with her spirit and her soul and her body, Lord. Not as much, Lord, make my husband start paying more attention to me. As Lord, bring my husband to you as Savior because he's headed to hell. Many of us, we pray for, I'm not saying, don't hear me saying don't pray for the physical needs or the emotional needs. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying at least as much as you pray for those, pray for the spiritual needs. The people on their way who you say you love who are headed straight to hell. And you haven't prayed one bit for them this week. Something wrong with that. But you prayed a lot, some of you. But you haven't prayed like Jesus prayed and the disciples prayed. Paul's prayer hack, real quick. I'm over time, but who cares? <laughs> Ephesians 6. <laughs> Don't motivate me. 
<laughs> Ephesians 6. I love this. This is Paul. This is after the whole armor of God. Man, we're going to do a series on this uh, after this series. Pray, pray for me also, Paul says. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, pray for me also that I may be given the right words when I begin to speak that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel and pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is one thing I pray all the time as I'm praying. And it's basically right words, clear gospel, bold messages. Right words, clear gospel. I pray that whenever there's, I see, all right, there's somebody I need to, I got a lady who, who uh, I, I do business with and her son died, uh, uh, you know, drug overdose thingy and so we ministered to her as a church and, you know, she's not a believer, she thinks she is, but she's not. So every time I go in there, I say, God, give me the right words. Make, make, make me make the gospel clear and make me bold enough to give it. That's what you ought to pray. God, I don't know how to, John, I don't know, I'm supposed to share my faith, but I don't know how. Then, then put prayer into it and say, God, give me the right words. He will. And Lord, Lord get, make, me, make the gospel clear. Make me have guts enough to give the gospel and make it clear. And then, Lord, give me the boldness, bold messages. Paul said, I need you guys to pray for me for that. Application. I'm going to start praying God's way to get God's results. Back to our text. In Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And they changed the world because they got changed. By the world changing, me changing God. Let's get changed, people, huh? Who do you need boldness for so you can speak the word of God with boldness too. Who? God, I pray that you would do that. Give us that boldness. Lord, there are people that we say we love and we've never shared the gospel with them one time. So forgive us that. And may we, Lord, take your word. Right words. Clear gospel. Bold messages. Lord, may we pray as we go. You will honor that prayer. You will honor that prayer. Right now, put that person in your mind and whisper from the quietness of your heart their name to the quietness of God's. You know who that is. That person you say you love was on their way to hell or you think might be on their way to hell. Say, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness. Set the situation up. Give me the right words. Give me the clear gospel. Give me boldness. He promises he will. Lord, use us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we can pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.